Well, we're going to be uh, in uh, Luke chapter 4 this morning, uh, verses 14 through 21. So if you have uh, your Bible um, or if you just want to listen along, totally fine. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 4, <coughs> verse 14. Excuse me. What's that? Quarter is on. Right there. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the liberty, or liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. All the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is God's word. Um, this past week, uh, I think it was this last past week or the week before, uh, I watched, as many of you may have watched, um, uh, the images of the volcano near Tonga exploding. Um, I remember uh, Jen telling me, she's like, you've got to see this. And so I thought, well, it's just a volcano. What will be? And then I saw the satellite imagery of this thing. And this was like, I guess, like seeing the very first atomic bomb go off. It was awe-inspiring and Shocking. <coughs> that was the one under the ocean, right? Um, uh, and what it did to the, the nation of Tonga was just uh, devastating. But that the ramifications of what was done under the, this undersea ocean thing was felt 6,000 miles away on the coastline of, of in Japan and in uh, California. Tsunami warnings. I mean, think about that for a moment. A small, in a sense, event occurring under the ocean causing ripples of seismic activity that was felt across the entire world and as i think about that and the amazingness of what that is i think about jesus's words here having the same effect here in this backwater town in the middle of israel nazareth this sort of um trailer parkish feeling sort of, uh, you know, nobody wants to go there. I mean, they said, what good can come from Nazareth? Here in the undersea, this explosion occurs of Jesus's words that have ripples that have not yet stopped moving throughout time and throughout uh, creation. The, wor- the, the ramifications of what Jesus says here have not stopped moving across time. And they still to this day have impact that is changing the world. Let's keep that in mind as we read and we discuss kind of what we see here in the scriptures this morning. There's a few things that pop up that I think are important for us to to, uh, take a look at. Uh, And the first thing that I notice uh, in this passage is that uh, Jesus is an itinerant preacher. So he comes out of his temptation. 
As we look back in, in chapter 3, Jesus comes out of his temptation, his 40-day silence and solitude tour, and all the things he endured with uh, the devil tempting him. Um, and he comes out after being ministered to by the angels, and immediately he goes and starts to preach. His silence and solitude time weren't meant to weaken him, but were meant to strengthen him. And he came out prepared. He came out ready. He came out uh, almost as if he was the volcano ready to explode. And he comes and he starts going throughout the region preaching this message. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. It's a radical message. He's basically saying age of Messiah is here. God is here. I remember the movie, and I've said this a zillion times before. You probably remember in the movie Ali, uh, Will Smith, who plays Muhammad Ali, uh, is in Zaire at the time. That's what it was called. And he's in Zaire, and he's ready to fight George Foreman. And George Foreman's in the ring uh, doing practice rounds. And Muhammad Ali walks in with this brashness and grabs a djembe or a drum and starts banging on it saying, The king is here. The king is here. This hubris, this, this stance of like the king of all kings of boxing is now in the ring. And in the same way, but with humility and mercy and grace, Jesus walks into the region of Galilee and is saying, the king is at hand. The king is now. The kingdom of God is starting. So we notice in verse 14, it says, Jesus returned in the power of the spirit. His very message that he's proclaiming to all of these people uh, is empowered and enlivened by the very presence of God within him. It wasn't fancy speech or persuasive uh, uh, uh talking but God's power in and through him and it set him apart from other traveling preachers of the day and his fame begins to grow as it says here he taught in all their synagogues and was being glorified by all the impact of Jesus and his message that had on these people is important like I said he was being glorified and elevated his fame begins to spread all over Galilee and he'd become recognized as a rabbi which was a high honor in those days I'm a preacher because I preach, but it's taken me a long time to get to the place where I feel comfortable in the pulpit, and I feel like people are actually somewhat, at times, maybe possibly listening to what I have to say. But Jesus doesn't have that problem. He walks into the, into, uh, the places, and he gets the scroll, and immediately can comment, and immediately can share, and people are like, something's different about this guy. Something about this guy is, is clicking with me that I've never heard before. He'd become recognized. So he returns home to Nazareth. He goes on his Galilee tour, and then he goes home. Now, for any of you who ever were in college and you came home, that was a great experience. It was really cool, except if you came home with a radically different political point of view than your parents and shared it at Thanksgiving, then maybe they didn't like you very much, and you were probably you know, a little upset. But So Jesus, in a sense, returns home to Nazareth and then brings his rabbinic ministry to his own, to his townspeople, to his family, to his friends. You notice he walks into the synagogue as was his tradition, as was what was expected, and he stood up to read and they handed him Isaiah. I don't know about you, but if someone just handed me a Bible on a Sunday morning and said, I don't know, pick something and talk, well, that would be a bit of a challenge. See, for me, it takes a, you know, a week or so to birth a sermon, to figure out what I'm going to say, to write it down on this nice little piece of paper over here and then be able to deliver it to you. It takes some time. But Jesus just simply asked, comment on this. 
And Jesus goes and he picks up the scroll and he, he reads this section and he reads it to the, and offers this commentary. And then those in attendance who were waiting to hear what he would say and what he would read, how would this carpenter's son handle the text in Isaiah 61? What would he say? Would he live up to his reputation? So Jesus reads this text in, from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord has anointed me or he's upon, upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The verses read are all about the Messiah, the one Messiah, the one sent from God who would bring Israel back from captivity, irrelevance, prison, brokenheartedness, brokenness, and oppression. Israel's condition had basically was requiring divine intervention. Israel had found itself in a place of, uh, of being out of, in a sense, out of favor with God because of their own sinfulness. They had neglected the poor. They had neglected the sick. They had done wrong and, and, and perpetuated injustice against people. They had done all these things. So God basically exiled them into Babylonian captivity, into irrelevance. In a sense, he had just put them on the back shelf because they had done wrong. They had done the wrong things. And they were waiting for Messiah. Hundreds of years they've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And this text is their hope. It is their anchor point. It is the thing that they're hoping and waiting for the one day when Messiah would come. And those who heard this message would have understood Jesus' words here. They would have understood the messianic nature of the text. And maybe some even uh, were uh, provoked to hope again in Messiah. This text was was not uh, uh, this text as Jesus read it was the shot that was heard around the world. Jesus is claiming here to be the anointed one. Think of that for a moment. The carpenter's son standing up reading a Bible passage in church, saying, "I am He who we've been waiting for." Jesus claims to be the anointed one of God, the Messiah, the called and chosen and empowered one, the one that would bring Israel back into the forefront and back into favor with God, back her, back, or bring her back into relevance. Jesus is claiming here to be the one to bring wholeness back to Israel, the awaited salvation. He's claiming to be full of God's presence, full of God's divine power, claiming to, be, uh, to have the good news message, the message to the poor, He's claiming to have the message that would free captives, heal the sick, uh, enact justice for all the oppressed, and claiming to be the one who is ushering in age of Messiah. It says here that their eyes were fixed on them. I wonder if their eyes were still fixed on him or were they squinty with rage? You know how you get when somebody says something that's totally off color and you want to punch them in the face? That's, I don't know which eyes they had in that moment. And then Jesus goes to say, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. The king is here. Messiah is in front of you. Hi, guys. Nice to meet you. It's me, native son of Nazareth. Now, there were two reactions that happened. First reaction is interesting that it says here, and I didn't expect this. They marveled at his words. They had the whole Keanu Reeves in, in, uh, in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, whoa, move. You know, they had, they had like, whoa, this is crazy. This is amazing. They're stunned. But Jesus, if we read later on here, he says more. And their, their whoa turns to fighting words. 
You see, Jesus does this thing in the Gospel of Luke where he presents a truth to the um, the Israelites and truth to the Jews and says, here you go. And they go, we hate it. You're, you're, we're going to kill you. And he goes, cool, I'm going to go take it over to the Gentiles. And so if we read later on in this passage, he actually says, hey, by the way, I'm the Messiah. And uh, you know that, um, remember those guys back in uh, Elijah and Elisha's time? Remember the, the widow and remember the lepers and how they were Gentiles and they were like away from Israel? I'm bringing it to them too. And what's interesting here. Jesus knows what their reaction is. He's basically saying, listen, the gospel is not just for you, Israel, chosen of God, but it is for the Gentiles also, and I'm here for them also. And that's what makes them angry enough to want to kill him on the spot. It says they were full of wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of town. Think of that for a moment. You roll in, you're here with your family and friends, and it was a nice dinner, and you're reading something cool, and you say, yeah, by the way, I'm the Messiah, and I'm here for you, and I'm here for all the losers and outcasts and all the ones that are rejected in your world, the ones that you call unclean. I'm here for them also. And they're like, out. Get out. Basically, Jesus is telling the Jews that he's not only Messiah for the Jews, but Messiah for the Gentiles. He is Messiah for humanity. And they flip their lids. See, Jesus was really saying here is that he was for all the world, that the entirety of humanity needed to be rescued and set right. So first the Messiah would fulfill the promise to Israel completing their story and then he would say Israel is now expanding and it is going to include all peoples from everywhere from every walk of life from prostitutes to tax collectors to the religious all spectrums of life are going to be included in the same way that that volcano exploded and the shock waves included all the surrounding areas all the way across the world in the same way his grace and gospel and his good love message is expanding and including everyone and Israel who had been following God or at least marginally for all this time did not like that idea that the rest of the world was going to be included in God's love and they wanted him dead the world needed a Messiah the world needs a Messiah the world needs the message of the gospel not just the religious people, but all the other people. Jesus is the Messiah that humanity needs. I think this is what Jesus is getting at here. I think this is his point. I don't think he was specifically uh, excluding all the other people. I think he was saying that, Israel, you've been poor and broken and blind and you've been captive and oppressed. Yes, I get that. I'm here for you. But the rest of the world has also been blind and broken and, and poor. And they have done things that have separated themselves from God. And I'm here for them too. God's love knows no boundaries and it knows no religious uh, um, uh, you know, walls that put it up there that keep other people out. Jesus is saying, I am the, I am the Messiah that all humanity needs. You see, Jesus makes God known. He says he was full of divine power and presence. He says the spirit of God is upon me. He says when we see Jesus, we see God. We see the anointed one full of grace and truth. Jesus, the one who saves Messiah in our midst, proclaiming good news. Good news. 
Jesus' gospel to humanity is foundationally spiritual. Don't miss this. It's super important for us to recognize that our sinfulness, the things we have done uh, uh, in the body and out of the body, uh, have, re- have been rebellion against God in his ways and has separated us from him. Starting in the Garden of Eden all the way through history, we have done things that have rebelled against God's ways and chosen ourselves over God. And we need, we cannot bring ourselves back. There's no way to bring ourselves back. We need someone to come in and spiritually save us, to forgive us of our sins. I love what it says here, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is a callback to the Old Testament with the year of Jubilee, where once every, I think it was every 49 years, there would be a time when Israel would cancel all debts. They would not farm any land. They would allow the earth to heal. They would heal all relationships. They would cancel everything. All slaves could become free, would be free. The whole world would be set at peace. And Jesus is saying, that's what I am here to do. I'm here for that. I'm here to save you. I'm here to forgive you. I'm here to set you right with God. I'm here to make you right with him so that you can once again reestablish the foundational relationship that all humanity needs, that we need to be reconciled with God. And Jesus is here for that. And he comes to do it. And through his death and his resurrection on the cross and at the empty grave, he says to us, you can start again. A new age of people is being birthed. And we're able to be with God. The resurrection is that ultimate sign and the signpost, the hope that we have, that Jesus has made all things right and that all humanity has been made right through Christ. And we can experience the love of God. Not just us in this room, but all those out there, the people wandering around uh, the pot shop, the people going in and out of the thrift store, the ones doing the laundry over there. They need to know that they are loved and that God loves them deeply and sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That is Jesus' good news message. The death of Jesus for the sins of humanity has wiped away the barrier between God and people. That is Jesus' foundational message. But secondly, while salvation is spiritual, it finds its outworking in tangible and material and real ways. Look at what he says. I'm here to preach good news to the poor, which are real. They are not, this is not a metaphor. This is not some sort of word picture. No, real poor people need to hear good news. Real poor people need to know that their needs are going to be met. Real poor people don't necessarily want to be rich, but they want to know that they're going to be able to make it to the next day. Jesus is like, I'm here for that. Jesus is saying that there are people who are blind and sick and that need physical healing. He's like, I'm here for that. I'm here to make that work. So I'm here to elevate people from places of low to places of high. He's here to equalize society with healings and revaluing outcasts and fighting the lost, having meals with sinners. Jesus is saying while salvation is spiritual, it finds its outworking in real tangible ways. His good news includes, like I said, the equalization of all humanity. To the poor, your needs are going to be met in God's kingdom. To the, uh, the captives, your, uh, you will be released from your bondage. Um, uh, for those who are oppressed and starved of justice, God will make sure it is made right. It is good news. 
For those who are sick and blind and lame and, and can't make it on your own, I'm here for you. The healing, it will be yours and for your bodies. And Jesus raises the least and humbles the great so that we can all be one equal people. Jesus has empowered you and I with his Holy Spirit to go and do as he has done. He is inviting us. This isn't just Jesus says, this is going to happen, and then he walks away. He's like, no, go into all the world. And make people who are like me who want to care for the poor and the sick and the lame and the blind and the oppressed and wants to see people who are uh, facing injustice to find that they are valued just as much as the people who are in the majority. But the problem is, is that we often either favor the spiritual at the expense of the physical or we favor the physical stuff and just say, let's just put that religious stuff on the side. You think it's wrong for us to say the Messiah is for us and not for them. It is wrong when we exclude people from our congregation based upon what they've done or who they are or, or how they identify. It is wrong for us to keep this Jesus for ourselves. And we do. Not just here, but all churches everywhere. We are way too exclusive and far, far less inclusive. There are so many people outside of the walls of this little building that need to know that they're loved because the world won't tell them that, at least not in full. Only those of us who have been forgiven by the grace of God and who have been set right in his sight can actually go and say, let me tell you about a real love. Let me tell you how that really works out. We need to be the ones who are receiving in all manner of people, no matter where they come from. I think it's also wrong when we um, say that salvation is only about something that you get so that you could go to heaven when you die. I think that's wrong too. Salvation is not fire insurance, folks. It's not just something that keeps you out of, out of hell. It is meant to be the very thing that enables us to be fully human before God and be fully human with each other. It is a tangible, real, right now sort of thing. But it is also wrong for us to put the spiritual on the back burner and only focus on the social activism. To only focus on those things at the expense of the social. We must have it in the right order. We are saved by grace through faith, through the love of God, because of what Jesus did for us and made us right with God through his choice. And now because of that, we can go into the world and effect good change. We can show the unlovely that they are loved. We can show the outcast that they belong. We can go to and become doctors and lawyers and healers. And we can go and social workers and go into the world and say, listen, I'm here for you. I'm going to make sure you get that justice. I'm going to make sure you get that medical procedure. I'm going to make sure that you are welcomed. That's our job. That's our job. We cannot farm this off on politicians. We cannot farm this off on anybody else. Our response must be that we must take up the mantle that Jesus has given us. We must, must, must be a people who are like this. We, because of Jesus, now have the Spirit of the Lord upon you to proclaim good news to the poor. 
that in God's kingdom, your needs are going to be met. You come and belong part of our church, and you have a need, we're going to make sure that it happens. you got a bill you can't pay, you're part of our, our, our congregation, and we love on you, and we show you the love of God. We're going to make sure you're going to be okay, that your heat won't get turned off, that you'll have a King Supers card, that you'll make sure that you'll be okay. We'll do that. That's our job. Someone comes in and says, I, 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 I'm in bondage to something terrible in my life. We're going to be here. We're going to be with you through that. That's our job. Jesus has commissioned us to be that people. We are to be like him. That is what a disciple is. We are to bring good news and challenge our assumptions about our neighbors. Jesus' uh, uh, words to us are going to make us angry. Let's start from there. That's how we ought to respond. We ought to acknowledge that the gospel is going to offend you in some way. It's either going to offend you at when it calls out your sin, when it says you shouldn't really be that prideful. You shouldn't be prideful at all for that matter. You have wrong assumptions about that people group. The gospel is going to call you to the carpet. It's not going to, it's not going to shame you, but it's certainly going to go, man, that's not the right way. The right way is Jesus' way. Let's recorrect ourselves and go this way instead. Jesus' good news will challenge our assumptions about ourselves. How we identify ourselves, how we think of ourselves, it will challenge us and it could offend us at some point, but Jesus has got it right. Let's just trust his way he sees us and accept him into our hearts and allow him to change us into Jesus-type people. Secondly, Jesus' good news is going to challenge our assumptions about our neighbors. We have neighbors in our very neighborhoods that our houses are next to that we have opinions about that are probably incorrect. No one person is the, is the no, nobody is the sum total of what we see on a daily basis. There is another side. And when we view one person just for what they show in public, we miss out on who God sees them as. And we ought, it, the, the good news is going to challenge us on that. And now lastly, the, the good news is going to challenge us to be a part of his work by bringing the kingdom of God to our world today. And you don't have to be a preacher to do it. In fact, it's better that you're not. People look at preachers and go, well, you know, you're kind of weird. The rest of y'all are just like normal folk. <laughs> and you can go into those places that I can't. But God has invited you and I to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be Jesus' people, to bring the good news to the poor, the oppressed, and the sick. Some of you are commissioned to be proclaimers, to tell the truth, tell truthfully the God's story of his love and his forgiveness and his reception, his inclusivity, to preach his word, to say there is hope for the hopeless, that he will not snuff out a smoldering wick or destroy a bent reed, but he's going to come alongside in his gentleness and restore by his grace. Some of you are commissioned to be healers who have healing hands, doctors, nurses, social workers. We as Christians need to be part of, uh, of these fields that provide healing for broken people in tangible ways. And the opportunities abound. Just putting a hand on a shoulder of a person who that is in your workplace who's grieving. That is the hand of Jesus on somebody. When you talk to a friend or a coworker and they're struggling with something and you're there and you're listening and you're in their story with them, you are the hands and feet of God saying, let me just proclaim the liberty of God for you. When we work for justice, when we set things to right, when we step into the shoes of another who is considered less than and we step into their world and we go, let me hear your story. 
we can work for justice. Not necessarily on a systemic level. Because it doesn't just start with systemic stuff. It starts with personal things. Who do you know that is in our society that is outcast? And how can you enter into their story and be their friend? Not just be there and say, well, let me give you to my church. But just be with them. Acknowledge that they share the same humanity that you do. Whether they're gay or, or whether they're uh, poor or whether they're any of the other classes that you might put people in. Jesus went and ate with a whole bunch of people we would have considered never to grace the doors of the church. Why can't we? Why shouldn't we? We are commissioned to do that. We are to value the marginalized. We are to include the outcast, invite and dwell with them, to intercede for the voiceless. We ought to be able to say with them, I am with you. I am for you. I see you. That is our commission. That is our commission. That's our job. That's your job. That's my job. And I've been failing at it quite well for quite some time. If we don't do it, who will? I read a great statement the other day that I was talking about. It says, if, uh, if we as a nation want to see, our, uh, see people turn and receive Christ and receive the love of God, we have to be the ones who provide that example. We must do it first. The church must go before the society does. And what I mean by that is this. If we want unbelieving public to receive the kingdom, we must be the ones who are going into the world proclaiming peace, acting for peace, working for justice, not doing the things that are keeping the oppressed away. We must be the ones who are opening the doors and keeping the meal hot on the table. That is our job. We are supposed to do that. And that is what I think Jesus is telling us in this passage. Jesus did this in three years. He says, you're going to take a little bit longer. It's totally cool. But listen, that's your job. We, are being, we need to be the ones doing the work. We must learn to change our posture towards the marginalized. So your mission, should you choose to accept it. I want you to think this week of a people group that you may you know, rub shoulders with or, or be within the periphery of your circle, a people group that is marginalized in your area. There are a whole bunch. In this room, we're not the marginalized. We're white people. We're in the majority. We're white middle-class folk for the most of us. There on the edges of us are people that are just dying to know that they are cared and seen. That we, and, and we have the opportunity to go do that. Think of a people group this week that is marginalized and ask God to give you the means to reach them with the inclusive love of God. And that just means create friendship. Take them out to lunch. Not as somebody to pity, but someone to know. I need to do this better because I am failing at it dramatically, whether you know that or not. How can I serve in a tangible way? How can I just be with somebody who needs to know that they are okay to be with? And I pray that God will give you the strength to do that, the power to do that. You You have it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you. 
You all are carriers of the most amazing power that spoke the worlds into the existence. How can we not use this to go to the marginalized and bring them into our circle and then go into their circle and be with them because that's what Jesus did. We have a lot of work to do. I have a lot of work to do. Let's pray that God will enable us to do that. Let's pray.